what I wanted to say, and I think this is the bottom line, China fears chaos. A collapse of its economy would drive it into chaos. Mm -hmm. It is dependent upon Western Europe, United States to avoid that chaos. They're in a really awkward position where they are very dependent upon us and they don't like it. Once more under the breach, dear friends. Else fill the wall up with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to another exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach, starring Jake and Jeff McClure. We're here to talk to you about all things economic. Um, but before we start talking about that dismal and dreary science, we have something even more dismal and dreary disclosures. Uh, the two people speaking to you right now, this is the most important disclosure you may hear all day, are, they are bald. Mm. They are also bearded. Mm. If this causes triggering in you for some reason, you are invited to please switch to a different station or, or turn consult, off the podcast. Or consult with a qualified counselor. Yes, immediately. Uh, a second set of disclosures, uh, although these are on a scale of uh, impact to you, probably not as important as the others. Um, the, uh, the program you're listening to is the Personal Wealth Coach. Uh, the name Personal Wealth Coach or the Personal Wealth Coach is also the name of an investment advisory firm registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission to give fiduciary investment advice just because it's registered and it's sort of the same people talking on here that do the firm and back and forth doesn't mean number one that the sec thinks that we're any better than anybody else in fact they just know how to find us um what it does mean is that we have some tighter reg regulation on what we're allowed to say and not say uh so to be very clear on that registered to give fiduciary advice which we cannot give on the air so the in the inside of everything that we do fiduciary find the best thing for the client we can't do that on the air but we can teach you stuff so this is education not advice if it were advice we'd actually have to be one-on-one -on -one or two-on-one -on -one or some other version of wrestling where we were uh sitting together with some degree of privacy and talking to you about your individualized stuff. And I'm not even sure anybody's listening to it. Well, yep, somebody's listening. Philip, thank you, you for listening. He told me we need to bring it today. Yeah, nothing like putting the pressure on, guys. This what is are a, we bringing? Um, I'm bringing spaghetti. What do, you, what do you have in mind? Well, I normally try to eat meat. All right. Uh, so steak and spaghetti. We're going to bring it today. Um, mm. We aren't giving advice. We're giving education. We're registered with the SEC, but they don't give us any kind of approval or thumbs up or anything else. Uh, we're bald. We're bearded. Uh, you, you've got one you want to throw in there. There's another important disclosure in here. Well, the information we provide on this educational radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. Or unsaid information, for that matter, because unsaid oh, information oh, I we will... give... Full guarantee and warranty that it is incomplete. I will warrant that all unsaid information is unsaid. FOB Detroit. Sorry. I had, yeah. had to finish that up. Okay. And the very, 
very last thing before we start talking 10 minutes into the hour about actually what we're here to talk about is that we're not paying for this radio spot. This is not paid commercial programming. We don't pay the station and they don't pay us. We've been doing this program for free for a long time. I'm coming up on 25 years now. In February, I'll be doing, I'll have been doing this program with you for 25 years. And I think I did it for a year before you came on board. Yeah. So it'd be, yeah, I think it's around 26 years we've been doing this. So that's a long time to not get paid for Saturday mornings. So that's all right. We're, we're okay with that. I'm just, this is the equivalent of humble bragging in that we're saying we're martyrs, but we're fine. We're fine. I guarantee, I, I assure you. Um, okay. So why are we doing it for free? I get that question because there's nothing out there that helps people understand what's going on. If you read the Wall Street Journal, most of what you read, you don't know what it means. So this is kind of our give back. We do get some clients out of this and the studio advertises for us and we advertise for, or advertises for this radio program and we pay money to advertise for the radio program as well. So, Senator, there is no quid pro quo. Or any other Latin word, especially not um, bad ones. Right. Right. Uh, and Roger emailed in and said uh, that at least one person who heard Jeff say remove cover before striking uh, said, uh, I, I think that's supposed to be close cover before striking. It's correct. It is. But remove cover before striking, I prefer because it's... it's the the analogy I made with a hat wouldn't work if you put the hat on someone before. See, you see what? Yeah, and yeah. So fortunately, it's, I don't think it's a. It's SE. completely. It is. It is closed cover before striking. Yeah, it's completely I, correct. Where did you get that information? You said you got all the information on here from sources you deem to be reliable. Where where we're going to have to verify this again three times. I I'll have to research that. Um, can you use a uh, carbon paper for that? I, we need three copies of the research for sure in pencil. Yes. Mm. <clears throat> well, we're trying to exist in a low carbon environment. He he did say at the end of that, fortunately, I don't think that's an SEC reportable statement. You never know. You never know. All right. So what happened this week? Man, there was a balloon, a big Chinese balloon. For those of you listening in the future, you're going to say, huh? Or you might say, oh, that was the beginning of the balloon wars. Most likely you'll, you'll say, huh? Because, man, that's a good name for a science fiction novel, isn't it? Balloon wars? Yeah, there we go. Uh, before the balloon wars, people thought balloons were silly party things. Um, no. So that happened this week. Uh, the scheduled trip of our uh, Secretary of State Blinken to the Chinese was canceled because uh, we were trying to make things up and they went so far as to put a balloon over us. Now, this is not downplaying the severity of that balloon, but I think it's quite a, a nice catchy headline to say, uh, Secretary of State refuses to visit China because of popped balloon. I just think that's a great headline. Don't, I mean... Well, we also, had, we also had the fact that the Secretary of Defense tried to call the Minister of Defense in China... Uh -huh. over the balloon and minister of China refuses to talk about pop balloon or balloon in general. I, you know, <laughs> it, a balloon is technically a bubble. Yes. A bubble popped so, this week over yes, the so markets. We had, 
well, over the ocean at least. Yeah. <laughs> so that happened this week, and why is that important? Because there's a bunch of other stuff going on in China right now. Um, we are our trade with China is picking up. The U.S.-China trade uh, is massively picking up. Imported goods from China totaled five hundred. $36.8 billion, that's a little over half a trillion dollars in 2022. Now, just time out for a second. The, the U.S. government budget is measured in the tens of trillions of dollars. And the economy of the United States as a whole, like the value of it, not what's happened this year in the GDP, but the whole value of the economy is measured in the hundreds of trillions of dollars. And in 2022, we imported half a trillion dollars worth of goods from China. That is a 6.3% increase from the prior year. Um, however, it's still down from 2018. Uh, so this was 2018 was the beginning of the trade war with China. And this is something we want to make clear. We're increasing trade with China. Well, why? Is it something we've done? Have we removed tariffs? No, they're opening up their businesses. Their factories are coming back online. The Chinese New Year, the Lunar New Year, I should say, is uh, completed. It's a, it's a month-long kind of festival. They're coming back to work. The factories are starting back up. And they really haven't been at full manufacturing capacity for about three years. So this is a big, big deal. And if it, this is a piece of recollection for you. At the end of 2019, the first phase of a two-phase reconciliation trade deal between the Trump administration and the Xi administration was signed. It was right before COVID hit and nothing has been said about it since then. Other things got bigger in the way and it was just scrapped. So we had a trade war sort of start to come to an end and then not come to an end. And then the uh, massive pandemic hitting. So our trade with China has been down and the quality of goods from China has also been down, which is saying a lot because China is not known for high quality goods. So why am I bringing this all up now? Um, because this is kind of a, maybe one of the last big booms in Chinese manufacturing based on what their current planning is and on the current planned in outside investment into China. It doesn't look like much in the way of new manufacturing facilities are being built right now in China by anybody that isn't from China. Uh, and that's a big deal. It's going elsewhere. So we're on the cusp of something amazing I don't know if it's a good amazing or a bad amazing. We won't know until years from now looking back. But the change in how we do business with China is fully underway. And at this point, it would be a massive effort by almost all businesses to reverse this. Money has been spent. Facilities are being made elsewhere. Uh, that That is not a good sign for Chinese future. And so the government of China is focusing more in on making a consumer culture while still not really protecting intellectual property. So this is a big, big issue rather than what happened this week. This, this what's going on right now is a, is a kind of in the middle of a massive shift, a different direction 
completely different from what we've been doing since the mid-90s. In the 1990s, there was this concept of free trade will bring down all enemies. The Soviet Union fell because rock and roll and free trade. Uh, They could buy Levi's jeans in the Soviet Union right before the wall came down in East Ger- between East Germany and West Germany in Berlin. So the, the, the concept, I, I make it sound like the whole country was divided just inside Berlin. You know what I mean. Uh, so this concept of the shift, where we are, it's completely different now. It's still very free trade oriented going forward, but only amongst uh, groups of friendly nations. We're drawing lines that are separating us again. And most of the time in history when that occurs, it leads to some form of conflict. It has occurred now. I mean, we've got a Ukrainian conflict. That may be the extent of it historically. It may be bigger. So what we have is the Russians and the Iranians and the Chinese and the North Koreans are kind of forming a trade block. And that tra- and the Indians are kind of trying to dabble on that trade block and the Western world's trade block. So they may be the ones that <laughs> wind up best out of all of this. We don't know. But it is a massive shift. It is a, it is a truly, I, I can't underline this enough, it's for the last 30 years, the entire world economy has been heading in one direction, and it's made a major shift. The long term of this is probably moving more toward automation. We're seeing a lot of that kick in, uh, uh, artificial intelligence guiding, or at least machine learning guiding machines on how they're picking vegetables and how they're making uh, different types of plastic molding, injection moldings and plastic mixes and so on. So we're seeing something that's well beyond an industrial revolution. It's industrial, it's information. So we had an industrial, we had multiple in, in industrial revolutions in the past. The big one that we kind of refer to is the beginning of the 20th century. And then we had the information revolution starting in the 1980s as computers were coming online and bringing us the internet. And now we're having an information industrial revolution that may just continue forever. It may be that as the machine learning takes over and starts designing new machines to do each layer, we could see prices continue to drop. And this is the last piece of this whole weirdness. The last 30 years of free trade caused us to have very, very little inflation because there was so much competition across the world. If you raised your prices, somebody else was not going to, and so you would buy from them instead of you. Uh, And that's the concept. Over the long period, that's brought prices down. If you look at everything electronic, how much did it cost to buy a big Curtis Mathis bureau-shaped television that had a 32-inch screen, and that was massive. It was a whole yard across, a 32-inch, and you, and you knew somebody in the neighborhood that had one of those. To today, when a 32-inch screen in your living room is considered, why do they have such a small thing? And you can pick it up and carry it in one hand, where it took four of your uh, biggest neighbors to move that Curtis Mathis thing in there and you might destroy every bit of door frame on the way. 
So from then to now, it's not like the quality of the machine has gone down. It's gone up. It's exponentially better. The amount of clarity you get in that electronic thing is so much better than the tube that the Curtis Mathis was running on. And I have very fond memories of, the, of those big things and those little things. But the price is significantly less. And if you go back and look at the prices for a big Curtis Mathis television in 1982, and you compare it to what people are paying today, it's the same price without inflation taken into account. It's just the same price. You can buy, uh, only if you're buying same screen size, it's a lot less. It costs about $1,200 to buy a 32-inch Curtis Mathis television. And if you apply inflation to that, that's somewhere in the range of 3500 It was a big investment, and it was a big deal to have it. To get a 32-inch television today is like 180 bucks, um, and we've had significant inflation since then. Well, why is that? Well, number one, technology's come along. We found cheaper ways of doing it. Well, what are the cheaper ways of doing it? We opened up our market and didn't charge other countries to provide us with parts or labor. We have the technology. They put the stuff together. So we've had a very stable inflation environment for the last 30 years. Very, very low, very, very low inflation. Then we hit the pandemic and all of the structure of that massive shift of free trade and open up and we're going to do it just in time broke because the trade, it wasn't like the trade war stopped it. Nope. It was the fact that everybody needed to go inside and close the door and not come out without a mask and certainly not come out and turn on your factory for a while. And some countries took a lot longer to turn the factories back on. So all that infrastructure that was built over three decades is being replaced over the last three years and probably for the next three years. So we have a very compressed shift of three decades into six years. And that's still ongoing. And this is what we're witnessing in China is that the trade war was the first knock to Chinese as the manufacturing center of the world. And there's the joke from the last 30 years. It says, you know, God lives in China. And the answer is supposed to say, why is that? Well, because God made everything. And Everything's made in China. So we're going from that to, uh, and before that, who, where was everything made? What was it before that? It was the United States. In Germany, if you bought something, you would say it came from the United States. Uh, you have more to add. There was a period of time that I remember many, many years ago when there was a ubiquitous label on most inexpensive things that you bought at stores. It was called Made in Japan. Yep. Yep. And Japan went from cheap made in Japan to quality made in Japan to Japan being very wealthy and buying up Pebble Beach and the Rockefeller Center and two or three other things like that. And then they woke up one day and said, whoops, this is not working. And it fell on their faces. Yeah. And have remained in a kind of state of disequilibrium they're, ever since. Yeah, they're coming out of that to some extent over the last... Yes. Even in the middle of the pandemic, we're seeing a revitalization taking there, but it's because of their changed policies. China's going the opposite direction. Well, I see the pattern repeating itself, and I'm, I guess it's because I'm older in dirt, but... Um, it depends on the dirt. If it's recently yes. composted, then I'm older than dirt, but it, yes, some, some dirt is older than you. me. So I'm just I'm just saying. Here's, I'm just saying. Here's the here's the point I want to make. I see 
China pretty much following the same path. There, well, we've talked about this on this radio program before about uh, Back to the Future, and now that's an ancient movie. But Back to the Future, there was an assumption that in the future we'd all be speaking Japanese, and the Japanese own everything in the United States. There is this perception right now that the Chinese are going to dominate the world, and they're going to run over everything, and they're going to crush everybody in their path. And no, they have the same problem albeit at a larger level, that the Japanese did. And that one of the key things that happened in Japan was there were two aspects, two key aspects, I think, to what happened in Japan. One, they have a very insular culture. They do not like other kinds of people in their country. They're very, very insular. Secondly, they're not having a lot of kids. They're having very few kids. And as a result, their population is shrinking and they're getting older. And as they get older, they get more conservative and more insular, which leads to decline. Uh, that is going on in China. China has hit peak. There's, there's a general consensus that I've read from multiple sources that China probably hit their peak population and are declining. Yeah. And it's happening faster than most people, including the Chinese government, apparently yeah. expected. The same. The ba- COVID, COVID tipped dearth. them over the limb. Yeah. We, everybody on the planet had a baby dearth during the pandemic. And it's not like the pandemic's over or gone. We're living with it. It's around. People are getting sick with it still, but it's not a novel virus anymore. We've got some degree of immunity to it. We still had a big, big dearth in babies and marriages for a while. There's a big picture in history, though, that is a little concerning, I would say, to say the least. When an empire, and China is not a country, it's an empire. It has multiple sub-countries within it that traditionally have their own language and their own historically their own government and everything else but china dominates and just as russia is an empire um traditionally when empires begin to decline just in population there are several hundred spoken languages in china right and in russia and in russia and in russia um when empires start to decline and their birth rates fall they commonly have a spasm of armed aggression as they decline. It's a very, very common thing throughout history. Uh, the Ottoman Empire did it. Uh, that's what part of what World War I was. The Austrian, the Austro-Hungarian Empire did it. That was World War I. Uh, the German Empire did it. That was World War I and II. Uh, you start on this list of events, and, and you realize there's this pattern through history. Both the Chinese and Russian empires are declining. They're in decline. Um, they both have leaders that have become popular or at least become powerful by stating they want to reassert the former greatness of their mythical empire that never really was all that great. Um, and that they're willing to do so by using armed forces. Folks, the German empire, uh, the leader made the same statement in the 1920s and 30s. Uh, you go down the list of empires and you realize this is, this is a pattern. So it's something that needs, it's, it's worthy of considering one, the Chinese are not going to dominate the world. I'm, I'm quite confident of that. They're not capable, uh, won't ever be capable Two, They are in decline and, uh, and three, they're getting more aggressive. So this is one of those things where countering that aggression is, is a critical element to prevent a major war. We, and I, I have to agree with you. You just said something that's really startling to some people that they're not capable. The Chinese are not capable of dominating the world. And I, we, we've talked about that in the, in the past. And it's a very 
American-centric viewpoint that we have that's measuring our success versus their success. And the big things that we're pointing at are things like intellectual property rights and innovation. Um, those are big, big, big things. And there's Nobel Prize granted on it that Douglas North has lots to say on the subject. The idea is if you make something and, and it's really cool and really new and everybody goes, this is the best thing ever, and you don't get paid for it, then you're probably not going to make another one, especially if other people are getting paid for your idea. And, and so having some version of protection on that is totally lacking in China. I mentioned that because there are fiction works about the Nazis dominating the world. Um, there are fiction works about uh, the Russian empire in, in the form of, of the Soviet Union dominating the world. Those are fiction works that they somehow... Swept out. I mean, what was it? Red storm, right? No, it was red, whatever. Red dawn. You red know, dawn. You know, yeah. Where the, yeah, Cu the Cubans the, invaded the United States and took the Cubans over. Cubans and the Russians, right? This is the original Red Dawn, which I, b I believe is a much better movie than the second one. But it was still the Cubans that invaded the United States in Colorado and somehow <laughs> flew over the red. Yeah. So we had these thoughts that they would be able to do it, but Cuba never had the ability in any way, shape, or form to take over any portion except for maybe the, Cuba. the Keys, the Florida Keys, maybe, until we got enough of a naval presence. I mean, they, they don't have the kind of armed forces and never did that would allow well, neither, them to do it. And that the Chinese are basically, in every aspect, incapable of dominating any area large, much larger than what they currently dominate. Correct. Yes, they would like to dominate the South China Sea and their goal, stated goal and published goal, is to dominate the uh, Western Pacific and the countries around them in, in Asia. But they really don't have the capacity to do that because their economic capacity, which is at the root of everything, is very, 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 very largely dependent upon trade with the United States. And here's the key thing. And the United States' ability to secure the oceans between them and Africa. And this, is, this is the other piece of that. Trade with the United States is not as simple as that. When, you, when we say trade, what are we trading? Number one, we're trading dollars. But that's the, let's kind of move the monetary concept to the side. We send information to China. Here's how we want this part made this new part that's never been made before. China goes, ah, we can make this cheaper than anyone else because we don't believe in pollution control or safety control or the fact that children shouldn't be working in the factory. Sometimes we use slaves, but we can make it cheaper. And we are in the United States kind of slowly waking up to, wait, we probably shouldn't let them enslave a whole group of people to make our purses cheaper. That's probably not what we want to do. And so we're starting to have some ethical qualms as their prices are rising. And this is important economically, but I need to make this point. Ethics in economics generally occur when the price changes. So ethically, people say, I don't want to drive a gas guzzling car, but they're driving it for their entire adult life until electric cars become less expensive. And then they go, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm very eco-conscious. And the same thing is here. We're going, oh, yeah, look at the price on this thing. I, this beats the price at Walmart for sure. And you buy it. 
and you find out, well, there may be slavery involved in that. Oh, yeah, yeah, I can't prove that. And then Walmart's prices drop, and the prices or the quality goes up at Walmart and drops here, and you people go, um, maybe I shouldn't buy from slaves. And that's what's going on. Okay, so uh, that I, I spent a long time talking about China and the direction there. I, I think it might be a good idea to talk about intellectual property. When we talk about intellectual property, well, a patent is a version of an intellectual property. They got a statement that says whatever it was that they patent, they made it, nobody else has made it before. Everybody else has to give that a period of time before they copy it. It doesn't mean that whatever it is that's patented is viable or correct or anything else. Uh, It's just a good idea that they think might be worth spending a couple of hundred dollars to put at the patent office just in case. Without having that license to keep your own idea, the ability for somebody with a large manufacturing facility to just take it and make a bunch of money without having to do any of the long thought process or innovate it or any of the things that happen in a creative mind, it, it stifles innovation. It causes the act of creating to go away. And China has just gone through a big stint of that, starting before the pandemic, when the Chinese government really started cracking down on its big tech. This is the big tech of China. Some innovation was occurring there. Some of it was just straight up intellectual property theft. Huawei didn't make anything. They combined a bunch of stolen property. They were the first ones to make 5G, which is the the compressed um, format at at very high speeds of cellular data. And the reason why they were the first ones to do it is because all of their competitors in the Western world, South Korea, the Danes, the United States, the UK, everybody was making their own cell phones in China. And China's state-owned portion of Huawei said, hey, why don't you have these plans and these plans and these plans? And Huawei said, hey, if we just combine all this stuff, look, the technology's right there. We're the first ones with it. And it's, it led to a completely new thing because there, law, there were lawsuits and the licensing fee got put away and was replaced with a punishment fee, a punitive damages that they're paying as if it's a licensing fee. But everybody got 5G because of it. So all the other companies came up with 5G because they were allowed to copy Huawei who had copied them. That's not cool. And, and that damages the innovation and our want to make anything over there. So when we think about motivation for an economy, intellectual property, why should I go and make my stuff if you're going to steal it at your place? Why don't I go over and sit in your living room and show you how to make my secret recipe and then you go out and tell the world or just start doing it yourself and calling it your own? Um, when we say they don't have the capability, it isn't that they don't have the people. It's that their technology is so reliant on our own. They're not innovating. And that's my wrap up for, it was a big subject talking about, and I'm not sure, <laughs> I truly didn't cover all that I needed to on it, but it was, it's a good thought process. Well, I, We're in a big change right now. What I'm wanting to say, and I think this is the bottom line, China fears chaos. A collapse of its economy would drive it into chaos. Mm -hmm. It is dependent upon 
Western Europe, United States to avoid that chaos. They're in a really awkward position where they are very dependent upon us and they don't like it. And we're out of time for this hour. If you'd like to talk to us off the air, we actually do portfolio management and investment advice as a fiduciary at a fiduciary level at, at the personal wealth coach. If you'd like to talk to us off the air, we have voicemail on the weekends, real live people with no phone tree on the weekdays at locally at 254-947-1111 or toll free 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com where you can read our newsletter, sign up for it. We send it out every Friday. Uh, You can uh, listen to our radio program going back lots of years. Contact us on the contact form or directly at Jeff and Jake and or Jake at tpwc.com. Until next hour, this has been The Personal Wealth Coach.